Welcome to Kevin Connors podcast. This series of messages on the book of Ezekiel were recorded in Malaysia in August 2010. Be sure to get a copy of Kevin's newly released commentary on the book of Ezekiel, available in paperback and ebook formats from Amazon.com and as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop. One other thought on uh, Luke chapter 21 and then we'll move on. So what we're going to do, we're going to uh, finish this session and this lesson and then uh, take a fuller break. For those who want breakfast and you want to be full gospel. <laughs> okay, so Luke chapter 21 where we're looking at before, I want to read on a little bit more. So remember I was saying here that Jesus almost follows a similar thing. He sees the glory of God departing. He is the glory of God departing from the temple desolation your house desolate the temple the city desolate so Luke chapter 21 let's read verse 20 again but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies that back there in Ezekiel's time it was the Babylonian armies here in AD 70 it's the uh, Roman armies then know that its desolation is near then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains let those who are in the midst of her depart and let not those who are in the country enter into her and listen to verse 22 onwards for these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled there was no vengeance in the heart of Christ at uh, when he first came but woe to those who were pregnant and to those who were nursing babies in those days for there will be great distress in the land you can underline the word land and wrath upon this people so the land so Four things desolated in Ezekiel's time, same in Jesus' time. The city, the temple, the land, the people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive, like they were in the Babylonian captivity. Here it's under Rome. Into all nations. And note the time element here. Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Whole subject in itself. What's the issue over Jerusalem today? Okay, what about the times of the Gentiles? All right, just some things to throw into your mind. All right, now let's go back to our sheet here uh, on page 22. And I want to uh, have you look at two scriptures on divorce. So we've talked about desolation and divorce, the fourfold desolation on the city, the land, the people, and the temple. Okay, now let's go to Jeremiah chapter 3. And I do wish people who are witness uh, to the Jews would be honest with them, particularly because they have only the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 3, and this will be one of our points in due time. God divorced Israel. So Jeremiah chapter 3, and uh, we'll pick up in verse 6. And Jeremiah's book, one of the key words in the book is uh, backsliding. It was a backsliding nation playing the harlot. So in verse uh, 6 it says, The Lord said also to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain under every green tree and there played the harlot. So the nation was married to uh, the Lord, to Jehovah but continually lapse into idolatry, which is uh, spiritual harlotry. And then verse 7 he says, And I said after she'd done all these things, return to me. 
Just like in the marriage of a Hosea, whose wife became a harlot. God is saying, return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Then I saw that for all the causes uh, for which backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce, a certificate of divorce. Yet a treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. So God divorced the nation of Israel. So please remember that Israel is a divorced people. All right, we'll come back to that later. Uh, Isaiah chapter 50, you've got it on your note there. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse uh, 1. And uh, the Lord through the prophet Isaiah is saying, Thus says the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? So, uh, you know, the whole issue... God is a divorced person. Should you fellowship God? All right, let me throw this one in for the more serious students. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 16, it's on your note there, Ezekiel 23, uh, Ezekiel talks about uh, Israel and Judah like two harlots, playing the harlot and everything like that. So Ezekiel picks up this thing. And Jeremiah is saying the same thing. Isaiah is saying the same thing. All right, now for the stu more studious ones, in um, Leviticus chapter 21 somewhere, uh, there were qualifications laid down for the high priest, the bride of the high priest. And the high priest, listen to the language here, was not allowed to marry a harlot, a widow, a divorced person, or profane. Those four words are used of Israel. Israel played the harlot. They became widowed. They became divorced. God gave them a bill of uh, divorce, a certificate of divorce, and they became profane, which is speak lightly of sacred things. And so the high priest was not allowed to marry. Anybody who was divorced, profane, a harlot, or widowed. But the high priest was to marry a virgin of his own people. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ cannot marry national Israel. He wants a virgin church, a pure church. He cannot marry national Israel. See, so people get this thing mixed up. So, well, Jesus Christ is our great high priest under the new covenant. He's going to remarry Israel. No, he's not. See, we need to read the scripture, not just grab a verse here and there, so forth. So, the only hope for national Israel is to become a new creature in Christ. All things pass away, they become a new creation, then they can become part of the bride of Christ. Everybody breathing out there? Am I talking to the right people or talking to myself here? Is anybody learning anything this morning? Am I shaking some of your traditions? No, no comment. Okay, now let's go down to the bottom of page, last thing here, and then we'll, we'll go over to page 23. John chapter uh, 1, verse 11 to 12, I'm going to quote it to you. The worst thing that happened in the nation of Israel, particularly the house of Judah, when Jesus came was this. John chapter 1, verse 11, 12 says, He came unto his own, referring to Jesus, and what happened? His own received him not. That's in John chapter 1, 11, 12. He came unto his own. So Jesus, the Messiah, came to his own people. His own received him not, but finish. But to as many as received him, 
whether Jew or Gentile, he gave them power to become the children of God. Okay, but what happened? In Matthew chapter 27, verse 19 to 25, we won't turn to it. I've got to finish this lesson. Uh, we're Deuteronomy 19, 10, Numbers 35, 33. When Pilate came out and said, uh, this man is a just man, and uh, what do they cry? And we're told in Luke's gospel that the priests agitated the people, and the voice of the chief priests were heard loud in the people, and they said, uh, I'm innocent of the blood of this just man. And what did they say? The worst thing the nation ever said, his blood be on us and on our children. And you see, unless we know, we don't understand this in our Western world or our world here, that when you go back to numbers, I've given you a couple of examples, Deuteronomy, the laws concerning innocent blood, anybody who shed innocent blood, they actually invoked a curse upon themselves. And I'm sorry to say this, I think of Australia, uh, Western world, America, and so forth, what's happening with the abortion rate and the millions of babies that are being aborted throughout the world. Innocent blood. It's screaming to high heaven. We are bringing curses on our nations. See, we, we don't understand. The, the, the rulers and government don't understand that a nation that sheds innocent blood brings a curse on itself. So when they said... His blood be on us. See, Pilate took a, a basin of water, and I've got a, uh, some archives from Jerusalem, no, not from Jerusalem, from Rome, where, where uh, Bible, our Bible tells us that Pilate asked for a basin of water, and he washed his hands in the water, and he says, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. They said, his blood be on us and on our children. So they actually invoked the curse of innocent blood on their, themselves and on their unborn generations. Now, this is no joy in my heart to say this. I grieve and think of the, of the curse and the nation uh, that they've been under for centuries, and Hitler was the worst by, uh, one. But you see, once they accept the blood of Jesus in blessing, the curse is lifted. And there are hundreds of Jews that are coming to Christ, the Messiah, accepting him, and they're coming under the blessing of the blood. But until then... His blood be on us and on our children. So the unborn generations came under the curse of innocent blood. And the Jews know the laws. You need to read those chapters fully between now and the coming of the Lord. <laughs> okay, the laws concerning innocent blood. Wow. But it can only be lifted when they accept the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. How many are glad for the blood of Jesus this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. Cleanses us from all sin makes this clear before God. Okay, let's go to 23 now. Try and wrap this session up. I've gone a bit longer than I intended to on this, but I, f I believe it's such an important thing. All right, now what is the present state of Jewry and Jerusalem? What is the present state? So we've gone through the order there. Paul's burden for the nation and the national privileges given to the nation, reasons for God's choice, desolation and divorce, and now the rejected Christ. And, what, and the terrible things that the nation has been through. Okay, let's go to 10 things here, and I just can only make a brief comment on them. And for those of you who have already filled in, okay. For those who haven't. Number one, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6 to 11, the present state of Jewry and Jerusalem, they are a divorced people. So number one, a divorced people. <coughs> and God cannot marry... Uh, he, God cannot uh, uh, violate his own marriage laws. 
And if a man divorced his wife, we're told that he could not go back and remarry her. So a divorced people. Number two, John chapter 8, we can only give sea thoughts here. John chapter 8, the whole uh, argument in that chapter is, uh, whose father of you? So uh, they're saying to Jesus in John chapter 8, Abraham is our father. But where's your father? We're not, and, and what are they doing? They, it's a slur against Jesus. We're not born of fornication. In other words, like you were, where's your father? And, uh, and then Jesus said, I know Abraham is your father, but if Abraham was your father, you would believe me. So what's Jesus saying? I know Abraham is your father after the flesh, but he's not your father after the spirit. Because if you would believe Abraham, you would believe me. So they are not, you fill in there, is not Abraham's spiritual seed. They are sand seed, but not star seed. The national, natural Israel, but not uh, the spiritual Israel. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. On, uh, on uh, number 3 here, I'd like you to look at these verses here. And uh, for those who pick up uh, seed, uh, note the four things that Paul says here. Romans 10, and I'll put down uh, 1 to 4. So, reminding you of verse 1. Uh, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Okay, that's it. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now, notice the four things in verses 3 and 4. I'll say it, number 1, 2, and 3. Number 1, they are ignorant of God's righteousness. So, ignorant. So, most people, everybody outside of Christ, they are ignorant of God's righteousness. Number 2, when you're ignorant of God's righteousness, number two, seeking to establish their own righteousness. So when people are ignorant of God's righteousness, they go about to establish their own righteousness. I'm as good as anybody else. I'm as good as the hypocrites who go to church. Okay? So ignorance of God's righteousness leads to self-righteousness. They go about to establish their own righteousness. Number three, because of ignorance and self-righteousness, number three, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. I have submitted to God's righteousness. How many can say amen? amen. And my righteousness is filthy rags, but I've submitted. And then number four, in verse four, Christ is the end of the law, because the law was the schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. That's it. A faith righteousness. So, Four things there, so you fill in there briefly is just ignorance of God's righteousness and everything that comes out of that. All right, number four, uh, just for, for time's sake here, uh, when you read these scriptures, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. And what was the stumbling stone? Jesus Christ, a crucified Messiah. So they stumbled. So they wanted a king like David who would get rid of the Romans, that they didn't want the crucified Messiah. So they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Uh, number, where are we up to here? St uh, stumbling stone, uh, crucified Christ, Messiah. Uh, number 10, fill in there because of time here. They are a word-resisting people. And Paul is writing this. Remember, it's Paul. It's not Kevin Connor. It's Paul who is praying that they might be saved. He's willing to be damned 
for them. They're word resisting. They resist the word. In fact, it might uh, shock you a bit when I was in the Middle East and I was ministering to the Messianic Jews and then ministering to the Arabs in different conferences there. Uh, it was against the law in Israel for any part, anybody to witness to a Jew. It was a, a, a forbidden by the law and we could either be deported or else put in jail. And as far as I know, that still stands. If a Jew asks a question of a Christian, then the Christian could answer it. But against the law to witness to a Jew and try and proselyte or else you would be deported or put in jail. That's how it was. I was able to minister the Messianic Jews because they believe us, okay, and minister the Arabs there. All right, so a word-resisting people. Uh, number, number six here, blindness. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this thing, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. That's in verse 25. I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happening to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. I haven't got time to do this, but you must understand the distinction between the times of the Gentiles and the fullness of the Gentiles, two different things. So Jerusalem is to be trodden down until the times of the Gentiles be full, uh, fulfilled, but here... Uh, blindness in part has happened to the nation until the fullness of the Gentiles. So you need to understand the distinction there. So blindness, where are we up to? Yes, blindness of heart until the full fullness of Gentiles has come in. All right, number seven here. They are enemies of the gospel for your sake. Enemies of the gospel. So as I said, you know, it's against the law to preach to a Jew, witness to a Jew, unless he asks a question. Unless he's a Messianic Jew and you're deported or you're put in jail. Okay, so enemies of the gospel. Uh, number eight, they are broken out of the faith olive tree. I want you to turn to this uh, uh, verses here. Uh, Romans chapter 11. Let's turn to Romans chapter 11. Uh, let me ask you a question here. And uh, please uh, respond. How many believe that the olive tree represents natural national Israel. Hands up. Okay. How many don't believe that it represents, uh, the olive tree represents national, natural Israel? Hands up. How many haven't got a hand? <laughs> Hands up. Okay. How many got a lying spirit still? And you didn't put your hand up at all, did you? You chicken. <laughs> All right. Okay. I had to, uh, you know, as I told you on the first night, I've had a lot to unlearn and relearn because you hear things. And I, I, I don't worry whether you believe what I'm teaching or not. Check it out for yourself. Read the scriptures. And I hope I'm way down the middle between two extremes here. Okay. Let's go to Romans chapter 11. And... Uh, We'll go to, oh, let's see, um, let's go to verse uh, 16. All right, so in verse 16 it says, For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, 
and with them became a partake of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. So Paul's dealing with pride on the Gentile part. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, and he's using the figure of the natural olive tree, and people think, oh, that's natural Israel, national Israel. No, just hang on a minute. If God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Okay, now, let's uh, look at this. Uh, my answer to this is that, uh, that the olive tree represents spiritual Israel and a faith olive tree. So if you've got that down, faith olive tree, let me explain. Who are the three tap roots of the olive tree? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Were they men of faith? By faith Abraham, by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob. They are all men of faith. So when Jesus come along to natural, national Israel there, those who were believers and accepted him, they remained in the olive tree. Those who were broken off, were broken off because of, everybody say the word with me, one word, unbelief. unbelief. See, unbelief. So it's a faith olive tree. It's not natural, national Israel. It's a faith olive tree. So those who were of faith, they stayed into the olive trees. Those who, of the Gentiles who came into faith, they were grafted into the faith olive tree. It's by faith. And so when people say to me, <coughs> Kevin, what, what's the, the Jewish problem? What about the Jewish problem? I say, the Jewish problem is everybody's problem. It's unbelief or faith. So once we accept Christ by faith, we are grafted into the faith olive tree. And they say, well, what about the Jews? Say, if they abide not still in, say the word with me, unbelief. That's what Paul's saying. If they abide, verse 23, and they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, will be grafted in. God is able to graft them in again. It's so clear. So as, as long as the Jews are outside of Christ, remain in unbelief, they are no longer in the faith olive tree. But once they accept Christ, they are grafted in to the faith olive tree. Is, it, is this clear to everybody? Thank you for that underwhelming response. I said, is this clear to everybody? See, it took a, lo a long time for me to sort that out because oh, the olive tree is Israel. I've heard one uh, uh, spirit-filled brother say, oh, once a Gentile accepts Christ, he's grafted into national Israel. Say, so, no, he's not. See? Uh, he was doing a misguided tour to Jerusalem. <laughs> so I didn't go. So no, it's a faith olive tree. So we've got to really understand that. So uh, the Jewish problem is everybody's problem. It's unbelief. So we said the first night, Unbelief is the unpardonable sin comes to convict the world of sin because they believe 
Not on me. Okay, so it's unbelief. So uh, broken out of the faith olive tree. All right, let's turn to Galatians chapter 4. Just a couple of other things here. Galatians chapter 4. And uh, under number 9 here, we've got in here, in bondage with her children. This is really important to understand. How many are being blessed this morning, getting something out of this? Yeah. All right, very good in the middle, but very sick on the uh, uh, sides here. Okay, verse 21, Galatians 4. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who is of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. He who is of the free woman through promise. We looked at this in the firstborn, you know, Ishmael, Isaac. Firstborn after flesh, firstborn of God. Which things are an allegory or which things are symbolic? Symbolic, For these are the two covenants. So I've underlined in my Bible, the two sons are two covenants. Ishmael is a son. He represents the old covenant, the covenant of works, the covenant of flesh. Isaac is a covenant. He represents the new covenant, the covenant of promise, the covenant of the Spirit. So which things are symbolic or an allegory for these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, who, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. And this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with the children. So why is everybody rushing to Jerusalem for a misguided tour? Right? But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. So in this passage here, Paul is using allegory or a symbol here that there are two Jerusalems. There's a Jerusalem above and there's a Jerusalem below. So when you go to the earthly Jerusalem, don't lose your sight of the heavenly Jerusalem. When it says Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, was he looking for the earthly Jerusalem? See if Abraham go, came back today. Oh, this is the city I'm looking for. Don't, don't you believe it? See, we get our eyes on the wrong Jerusalem now. There's a lot of things happening over there and it's going to get worse before it ever gets better. But I've got my eyes on the heavenly Jerusalem. So you've just got to check your city out on that. All right, so bondage with her children. So Jerusalem, which now is the earthly present Jerusalem and the hot potato it is for everybody. Um, it's in bondage with her children. I belong to heavenly Jerusalem. Abraham is my father, and Sarah is my mother. Okay, number 10, the last one here. Let's go to Revelation chapter 11, 8. And then we'll come to the good part. <laughs> we have to root out, tear down, pluck up, pull up, and destroy before we can build and plant. Revelation chapter 11. And you might like to make a note of this. This is the second last reference to earthly Jerusalem in the Bible. The second last reference to earthly Jerusalem. And look what it says. It's referring to the chapter on the two witnesses. Kevin Connor and Hong Sing. No, 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 no. Don't, don't believe that part. That's just a funny. Okay, verse 8 of Revelation 8. Uh, Revelation 11, sorry, Revelation 11, verse 8. And it says, Their dead bodies, referring to the two witnesses, shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. And there's no mistake in the city where also our Lord was crucified. 
So earthly Jerusalem in God's mind is spiritually Sodom and Egypt. So when you go to Jerusalem, you're going to a city which spiritually is Sodom. Now I've been to Jerusalem as I told you and I'm looking for some souvenirs. I want to take some souvenirs back to my family and as I'm going through the souvenirs I see all these books on pornography. I thought, oh, oh, I'm in the holy city. But what are these books on pornography for? And I don't know how many of you saw this just, I think it was end of last year, the homosexuals wanted to have a parade and they said, I don't know if the article reads here, they said, we want to turn the city of Jerusalem into the city of Sodom. Uh, was, did that hear there? Okay, we got it there. I've got articles on it. So they had a, a gay pride Wow, what a, what a title. A gay pride march down the streets of Jerusalem. And they said, we're going to turn it into a Sodom. Much to the disgust of the Orthodox rabbis, of course. But this is it. So, you know, when you think of Sodom, and we're living in a Sodomite society, sorry to say, uh, as it was in the days of Lot, and Lot, uh, as it was in the days of Noah, that was violence. As it was in the days of Lot, that's sodomy. So we're living in a Sodomite society. So Sodom had two witnesses and then was destroyed by fire and brimstone. Egypt had two witnesses and was destroyed by plagues. Jerusalem will have two witnesses and be destroyed in like manner. So when I hear some of this stuff that's going around, well, when, we, when the millennium comes and Jesus comes, he's going to fix up Jerusalem and all the nations are going to go up to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Sorry to say this, because Kevin Connor, phony baloney. <laughs> Read the Bible. <laughs> so when you go to Jerusalem, you go to a city that spiritually is Sodom and Egypt. Wow, look what happened there, where our Lord was crucified. No mistaking the city. So your final thing there is spiritually Sodom and Egypt. Okay, let's go to the good part before we finish here. Okay, the restoration of Israel. So has this helped you this morning? So the burden for the nation, so I have nothing against the nation. I'm not anti-Semitic, I'm not anti-Jewish, I'm not anti-anybody. My desire is that they will be saved. And you see, uh, one of the sad things that I got here, uh, I've got in another folder. Uh, I was, uh, my wife and I were in Atlanta, Georgia, before we got sick two or three years back. And uh, about seven or eight of the mainline churches uh, came out uh, with an article in the, in the newspaper, in the weekend newspaper, and I got a copy of it, brought it home to make sure I'm not seeing things. And they have decided that the Jews do not need to be born again. And this was headlines in the Atlanta News. Jews do not have to be born again. They are still the covenant people of God. They are still the elect. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because Jesus said to Nikki. You know Nicky? Uh, Demas, you know, that's his surname. Uh, Nicky Demas, uh, Nicodemus, you know. Uh, are you breathing? I know it's time for breakfast, okay. Uh, so he said to Nicodemus, are you a Jew? You've got to be born again. If you're not born again, you can't enter the kingdom. So when these seven or eight mainline churches got together and said the Jews do not have to be born again, that's contradicting Jesus. And then the, there was an, uh, a responsive article by the Jewish rabbis uh, 
what they thought of, and and they were so happy about it. they said it's about time the christians got off our back trying to convert us to their jewish messiah well that's a delusion i say jew or gentile you've got to be born again to enter the kingdom that's not anti-semitic it's just being bible that's being honest with the jews and people who tell me well the jews are it god's finished with the church church is a failure god turned back to the jews they say as long as you tell them they've got to be born again okay god is never finished with the church jesus will never divorce his bride or his body the church is the body of christ the church is the bride of christ so you're not going to see uh, a head running out around the world without a body I mean, I love my wife. See? That's why I call her expensive. Um, <laughs> uh, dear first, when I first met her. And uh, if anybody came up to my wife and said, oh, you're not very good looking, you know what I'd do? I'd punch him in the nose in the name of Jesus and repent afterwards. Because <laughs> my my, I love my wife with all her imperfections. And she loves me with all my imperfections. And if I feel that way about my bride, how does Christ feel about the church? So when people knock the church and run the church down, God's finished with the church, the church is a failure, the Jews are... That's a lie. He loves his church with all its faults. Thank you, Kevin, for that good point. Okay, as we sort of wrap up here, oh, hallelujah, I need a break. Everybody need a break? Okay, uh, gee, boy, that was a very strong... Yeah, I mean, that was stronger than yay man's. Okay, the restoration of Israel. So number four things here. Israel will be restored by... What have I got here? I've got to see. Yes, outpouring of the Spirit of grace. Outpouring of the Spirit of grace. Where have I got that? Yeah. Outpouring of the Spirit of grace. So um, I think, yeah, we'll be doing this in one of the sessions. There's going to be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Jewish nation. I believe that. And the scriptures are pretty clear on that. God's going to open their eyes and they're going to receive the spirit of grace and they're going to mourn for uh, the one that they've rejected. So restoration. And I've put some scriptures there. Uh, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Ezekiel uh, 39, 39 says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on them. Zechariah says he's going to pour out his spirit on them. And then number two, they're going to be restored by acceptance of the new covenant. They are still under the law covenant, still under the curse of that covenant, under the curse of innocent blood. His blood be on us. But uh, God said, oh, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. It's already been made. They just need to accept it. When Jesus established the communion table, he said, this is my body, this is my blood of the new covenant. And so... Uh, by acceptance of the new covenant and then number three they are grafted into the faith olive tree i think i've made that clear enough they will be grafted if they abide not still in unbelief they will be grafted in and god is able to graft them in again so they get their eyes open grafted back into the faith olive tree and then number four they will be saved through faith in the messiah so all those scriptures in romans paul's looking forward to a time Blindness in part has happened in Israel till the, to, to the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Then they're grafted in again. They get their eyes open. They're saved through faith in Messiah. So my, my prayer and desire is that Israel might be saved. All right, now just go down to the last part here. 
First coming, the diagram represents the first coming, first three and a half years if you want to fill that in, and then the second coming, the last three and a half years, and then in between the first half of the 70th week, last half of the 70th week, we have what we call the church age, where Jew and Gentile are being baptized into one body by one spirit, are we baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, and we are grafted into the faith olive tree. So that's the diagram there. All right, as we bring our session to a conclusion, let's go over to Ezekiel and look at uh, several of the prophecies there. Let's go to... Um, oh. mm. No, I get uh, gets too complicated to say much. Okay, Ezekiel, number one, Ezekiel 21, 27, says, until he come whose right or birthright it is, referring to Christ. Ezekiel 34 talks about the true shepherd, the Messiah. Let's go to Ezekiel 36. These are all new covenant promises, so we have to sort of read them in the light. Ezekiel's down in Babylon, the people in Babylon captivity, and they've gone through the fourfold desolation, they've been divorced, and uh, yet woven throughout the book of Ezekiel are the promises of restoration. Uh, Ezekiel 37, on the dry bones will live again. And uh, then chapter 39, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ezekiel 36. And uh, we'll go to uh, what verse, verse 25. Promise of restoration. Then he says, Then will I, will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. Washing of water by the word. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit, creating me a clean heart, O oh God. So a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. The, uh, the Holy Spirit, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, so we think of the stony tablets, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit. So new spirit, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And... Uh, uh, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Everything pertains to the new covenant. Let's go to one more scripture and then uh, we'll take a break. Uh, Ezekiel 39. And uh, let's go to verse 20, 25, just a couple of verses here. So Ezekiel 39. So, woven throughout Ezekiel are promises restoration. So, verse 25, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and will be jealous for my holy name. And then in verse 29, uh, Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, says the Lord. That's a tremendous picture I have. So down the bottom of page 23 as we close, uh, conclusion. The restoration of Israel is not to the Mosaic covenant, Mosaic covenant economy, which was abolished at the cross, but it's a restoration to God through Christ only by the body and blood of the new covenant. And if you want fuller details of that, excellent book by a friend of mine, Restoration Theology, from which I've taken from these chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm done. Everybody done? All right. Let's give it a look.
We hope you've enjoyed today's teaching. Visit kevinconnor.org for more information.